0: Hey podcast listener, welcome to Eat Half, Walk Double. I'm your host, Chris Duck. This show is the chronicle of my four decades in endurance sports, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way, and I have met my share. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member... It's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. On today's show, I continue the conversation with my pop, Jim Dunn. We talk about how he got into running, including a tremendous story about the Mount Washington Road Race, and a real funny story about the first time he was beaten by a woman in a race. The chat then shifts to his transition into hiking, with some amazing stories about his experiences above 14,000 feet on some of the highest peaks in the U.S. and abroad. And because my lab, Tuckerman, loves his pop, he makes an appearance too. So here he is, Jim Dunn. Hey, Pop, welcome back to the show.
1: That's good. Everything's good over here. We're ready to roll. All right, here we we go.
0: The world experienced a running boom in the 1970s. And that was especially true here in the United States where participation in the recreational sport of running skyrocketed in the 1970s. By by some estimates, there were as many as 25 million people uh, who entered the sport of running in the 1970s and 1980s. W- one of those people was you. Uh, I'm curious, why did you start running?
1: Uh, you know, I th- I've thought about that over and over and over again, and I just was looking for... A- I was just looking for a challenge of some kind. something I'd never done. So one day I, I told your mother, I said, I, I'm going out for a run. So I put my Chuck Taylors on and a pair of sweatpants and uh, a pair of uh, Dover High gym shorts under them and a T-shirt. and I ran down back road till i got tired then i turned around and came back and then i got in the car and i measured it it was two miles down and two miles back so i said wow i never run less than four miles ever because that was my initial run so i thought wow this is pretty cool uh what can I do to make this competitive? Because at that time, if you if you go back, it, I really wasn't being competitive in anything physically. So I needed something to do competitively. So there was this race, the Dover 10-mile road race. I, I remember I'd only run four miles, maybe three times a week. So I entered the Dover 10 and my first time was like 80 minutes and I came in ninth, Impressive. <laughs> pretty good. Right?
0: Yeah. 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 So
1: pretty good, pretty good for, for, for a first timer. Right. And I said to myself, wow, that was easy. So I started adding mileage to my training runs and. I really didn't do much because I was still working out, lifting and stuff all at, at during that time. So the next Dover 10 came up and I had a guy beat me in the first Dover 10 that I said, I got to beat that guy. Coach Weeks beat me in the first one, He came in like eighth. I said, well, I got to beat him. So, of course, I've been uh, my mileage went up probably to 25 miles a week. So I went out and I ran. 70 minutes the next year pretty big improvement whoa this is good i'm fast i mean we didn't have any way of tracking it at the time i mean somebody had a stopwatch when you went by so when being competitive i said well that's pretty cool so i hooked up with my friend dan mccurry at the time rest soul of that man and Ken Jones, and we started running after school. So you next the 20-something miles eventually ended up in the low 30s, and I got pretty good at it. So Rusty Jones was running at that time. Should we introduce who Rusty is? I think I think you should. I think that'd be appropriate. All right. Well, Rusty coached, he went to Springfield and <sighs> Came back to Dover to do, to to teach. So I hired him as I hired him when I was the head coach to coach our defensive ends. I remember Rusty never played college football. He played over in he played high school football. So then Rusty and I started running. Well, I'll be darned if we're not running road races every weekend. That became that competitive outlet. And the time started to. I remember the first time I said, I gotta run six minute miles. Even if they're 659s, so I gotta run six minute miles.
0: How, yeah, and how did you I mean, this was this was this was before the advent of GPS-enabled technology, where literally now Runners runners can look at their wrist and they can tell in real time what their pace is. I would have been
1: I would have been an Olympian if I had trained in this.
0: <laughs> okay, well, but but you know there would have been there would have been no way for you to know what your pace was until after yeah. the run you had to go back out in your car measure it. I yeah. I, I guess you probably no. were wearing a wristwatch at the
1: time. So well, you we're, we're, remember I was running that back back four mile back road. All the time. So I had that down pat. So you yeah, so you knew the distance of your local area. Yeah, and then we measured we measured some other we measured a seven miler. Because I've always said anybody who asked me, I said, hey, if you can run four, you can run seven. If you can run seven, you can run ten. If you can run ten, you can run you can run fifteen. Right? If you can run ten, you can run fifteen. Dang, if you, can't, if you can run 15, you can run 20. And hell, if you can run 20, you can run a marathon. So that's kind of how that all progressed. But running with Rusty, we tried to be competitive. And we entered this race over in Maine at the Wayne's Fleet School. They had, back then, I don't know if, if you don't recall this, but they had a men's race and a woman's race right so the women all take off and they and they race it's a shorter one so this woman ru- wins it right so we ain't paying attention to them Shh, we're gonna beat them anyhow we ain't paying attention to them so then we tow the line for the men's race and uh we don't know who's we figure it's all men right so the gun goes off and off we go it's a uh they didn't have kilometers back then it was four mile five mile seven mile
0: well they 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 had kilometers they just yeah. didn't measure road races we, in kilometers
1: <laughs> we weren't smart enough to be able to figure out what a kilometer okay. was no, We now fair. know what it is but anyhow so we're going along and we're running and, and you know we got them shorty shorts on that's what that's what we figured out we should be running in these yeah shorts. We, we
0: we call those now premier athletic shorts
1: yeah okay well they're shorty shorts and I had bought a pair of racing flats, a Anasuka, Anasuka racers. There was no, there was no support in them. It was just a flat track shoe. And we're running. Rusty and I are running, and we're laughing and we're having a great time. We're up in the up in the lead. We're just cruising this thing. Then all of a sudden, going by us is this woman going by us. I go, what the heck is she doing? She. I thought she ran in a woman's race. I don't know, man, but we got to catch her. So we caught her. Well, she ran with us for a while. And then all of a sudden she just said, I can't take these two idiots any longer. She picked it up and hightailed it in and she didn't win that race, but she beat us. So, I mean, Rusty and I were kind of depressed because we'd never been beaten by a woman before ever, ever. She had just smoked our ass, just cleaned our clocks. So what are we going to do about it, Rusty? He, Rusty, I don't know. We got to keep training, man. We got we to gotta get faster. We can't let that happen again. So the Boston Marathon is like two weeks away, right? So Rusty call, calls me on a landline and he says, hey Donna, he goes, you know that woman that just beat us over at the Waynesfleet school? Oh, yeah. What about it? Well, she just won the Boston Marathon. (laughs) It's like, Rusty's a joker, right? So I'm going, Rusty. What? I I go, Rusty, what are you talking about? Well, that woman won the Boston Marathon. I go, who is she? I don't know. Some woman. What? Joan Benoit or something like that? What do you know about it? He goes, I don't know. Somebody says she's a student somewhere. She, she was is, a student, right? She
0: was a student at, at Bowdoin at the time.
1: Well, she just absolutely, she, what she had, a, what was her time in the marathon? It was like 2.21 or something i think something something like that
0: I'm, I'm i'm not the greatest marathon historian but i do know that um that was uh that was 1979 uh the 1979 boston marathon she was a she was a a, a relative unknown at the time um and uh won won the race in fact i think i think that 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 time, stood as the as the as the women's record for quite some time before before it was broken she she of course won the boston marathon again a few years later um but uh uh, what yeah what 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 is what what an amazing what an amazing sort of experience
1: because you remember rusty ended up coaching with the buffalo bills and the chicago bears and he, he got rehired by by uh Frank Reich out with the Colts. So, and that's where he is now. But he told that story to the football players out there. He told that story to those guys. They couldn't believe it, that, that we ran with this. Cause they all had to look who she, who look her up. Right. Cause this is like two years ago. They told right. the story. Right. They had to look her up and they go, you guys ran with her. I go, yeah, she wasn't. We don't think she was anybody at that time.
0: And well, she, she, she certainly went on to become somebody, right. perhaps one of the, one of the greatest uh, female distance runners uh, in, in the United States um,
1: for, for sure. Um, well, what, what happened then What was interesting is we said, all right, man, we got to, we got to, we got to boost our mileage. We got to get out of that 30 range and get up to the high thirties and the low forties. So we started doing that. And I go, to my day, I said, Why are we doing this? He said, Well, we're going to get faster because he was a, he was a, uh, uh, he, uh what, what was he? He was an exercise physiologist, he or? was an exercise physiology, a physiologist out of Springfield. Uh, and so we started upping our mileage. And he, he reads to me one day, he goes, Hey, you know, they got a road race that goes up to Mount Washington, and remember. A challenge for me was important. And I go, wait a minute, Rusty, you're talking to me. There's a road race with only one hill. That's awesome. We're going to cruise that thing. So how do? what do we do? He goes, well, I hear that you got to get a ride down. Jeez, how do we get a ride down? He goes, nah, I got Jimmy set up. And if you remember, Rusty's brother, Jimmy, at that time was benching 300 pounds and God rest his soul, and he wasn't running, so he was gonna drive his Chrysler up to the top of the mountain and wait for us to show up. So we drive up there, of course, we got a cooler of beer in the back, because we're gonna enjoy ourselves after the whole thing is over. And uh, so we go up there, and there's this toll booth that they got there. I'm thinking, what the heck is that thing? Because that's where the, where the cars start. Don't you check in there? I think.
0: I never Yeah, that's where, yeah. yeah, that's that's where you that's where as a as a uh as a as a uh you know just a, a day tripper, yeah. That's yeah. where you you buy your pass to drive the road.
1: Well, we showed up about a half an hour before the race, because it took us a while to get there, right? So so we're looking around, we go, hey, where do you get a bib? Hey, where, how, how do you run this thing? Because remember. All the times that we were running road races prior to that, we would, we would never pay. We would just jump into the crowd and run just to, to competitive. We never paid. So you were, you were bandits. Oh, total bandits. (laughs) Okay. Total bandits. So we said, well, I think we got to pay for this one because that's how Jimmy's going to get up there by us having bibs and he's going to take us down. So anyhow, we go, so the guy, somebody, we see somebody, right, with shorty shorts on. And they go, go over that, go over that toll booth, and you register. Okay. So we go over there. The, the guy goes, it's 10 bucks. 10 bucks to run that thing? Oh, my God. I barely had 10 bucks. I think I had to borrow a couple bucks from Jimmy. So Rusty and I got bibs. Okay, right there on the spot. I guess you can't do that now.
0: Well, the you know the the the, the race has certainly uh, evolved over the years. No, it's a yeah, it's a lottery now, um, where you know, you've got to be lucky uh, to be chosen uh, to race. And now there, are, you know, several hundred people uh, who uh, who who run the race now. Certainly different than it was back then.
1: So I looked at Rusty. I go, how are we going to do this, dude? I mean, how are we going to run this thing? So you know when you start on that race because i know you ran it it's a downhill for a while right i go rusty this is easy man i thought there was a hill here so we start that down that hill and we're cruising we're right up at the front half of the pack i don't know how many people there were it really is immaterial but uh we're running that thing and we said look we're talking to each other we go look we're going to run this together we're going to finish this together so when we have to walk, cause there's no way we're gonna run this darn thing the whole way. So if We have to stop, we'll both walk. So we get about two thirds of the way through the thing and Rusty goes, I gotta walk. I go, Russ, okay. So I start walking and we're walking and I go, Russ, this is killing me. I wanna get this dang thing over with. So we said, well, go ahead. So you know how it is up at, and when you get up real high, you're not really, at least I wasn't really running, I thought I was. My mindset. I was running, and I went up there. I get up there, and I finished the thing in ninety six minutes. I was pretty good. I mean, I told you what my time was. I know you beat me, but I mean, I didn't do it a second time. I would have gotten lower than that had I run it a second time. (laughs) Of course, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy's up there, and he's got a beer crack for me, so I have a beer, and. Go, he goes, where's Rusty? I thought you guys were going to be together. He go, I go. I mean, he told me to take off. I don't have any idea where he is. And believe it or not, we had no clothes. Okay, we had no clothes. It only was like seventy two degrees on the summit. It was like the warmest day they'd had forever. Had we run into bad weather, we would have been sunk.
0: You'd have been. You you, you would have been. You would have been frozen for Shorter
1: sure. Shorts and, and a t shirt. That's all we had.
0: Well, in 2000 in two, interest, interestingly enough that we, you and I do have a connection to the to the Mount Washington Road Race in in 2010 two two of my buddies um uh said they were going to put their names in for the lottery for the Mount Washington Road Race and that I should put my name into the lottery as well. Well, because, because there was a lottery and it was a, it was a road race. I, I, I really didn't, the, the race really wasn't on my radar. I, I didn't really have any interest in, in doing it, but, but my two buddies, Rich Lavers and Jeff Cunningham kind of had talked me into putting my name into the lottery. So I put my name into the lottery and lo and behold, my name was selected, but theirs wasn't. Right? <laughs> right, so that, right. That as, as luck, as luck would have it. So when I found out that I, uh, that I had an entry into the Mount Washington road race. I remembered that, that you had done the race, um, you know, when, probably when you were, when, when you were that age, when you were my age at the time. So I, you know, I immediately reached out and I said, uh, I said, Hey pop. Yeah. I got into the Mount Washington road race and you say, Hey, that's, that's, that's great. I said, uh, I said, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, what was your time at the Mount Washington road race? Right. Um, because you know, the Duns are, the Duns are a competitive family, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, we we have we have family records, right, that uh, uh, that sort of that push and, and, and inspire us to, you know, to to, uh, you know, to 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 attempt to do great things. So I wanted to find out, you know, what what your time was, because if I was going to do this race, the point would be for me to set the family record. So when I originally asked you what your time was, of course, it you know, over the years, memories fade a little bit. And you couldn't really quite remember, although you, you kind of had, you sort of had an idea, you had a ballpark, but you couldn't remember it the exact time. Now that's, that's completely fair, right? This was, uh, this was probably 40 years earlier, right? You did it. You did the race. You think you did the race in the, in sometime in the late seventies. Although again, it can't exactly remember there. That's fine. Point being, it was 40 years ago. Totally understand that you wouldn't remember the exact time. So you gave me a ballpark. You did, you did sort of lay down that marker and you said, my time was a 136. Fine. My entire objective then in, in prep in preparing for the Mount Washington Road race was to get under a 136, right? It was to set the family record. Because the way I saw it, this was going to be a one and done for me. You know, yeah. it, it 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 was a it was a it was a bucket list race. It was a it was a great opportunity for me to do it. It was a great opportunity for me to race you, you know, sort of virtually. Um, so all of my training was dedicated to to running a, to running a sub one thirty six, and wouldn't you know, I finished in one thirty two. Well, I'll never forget. I'm on the summit of of Mount Washington, having just run a one thirty two, and knowing that I had just set the family record. So I called you on the phone, and I and and I said, "Hey, Pop," you said, "Hey, how you doing?" I said, "I'm I'm doing I'm doing great." I said, "I just finished the Mount Washington Road Race in 132, and you said. You said what? One thirty-two? I said, yeah. I said I just set the family record, and you go, no, 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 you didn't. I ran a one thirty-one, and I said, no, no, you didn't. You said you ran a one thirty-six. You're like, yeah, okay, all right. I'm just kidding. I, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> so that, so that, that, that was the story of, yeah. uh, uh, of of how I was actually able to race against you head to head, yeah. virtually some some forty years earlier. It's well, I know I mean, what my training, I know what my training was like for the Mount Washington. Uh, road race. Uh, but what was your training like for them? Do you remember what, how did you, how did you prepare for, for only one hill, 7.7 7 miles of only one hill? Do you remember how you
1: prepared for it? No, I did nothing different. Nothing. You just, you, you, you and Rusty just kept running. Just, just, I did nothing different. The changes came for me when I decided that after that, I said, well, you know, I got to try a marathon. That's when that's when the things changed.
0: Yeah. How did you, yeah, how, how
1: did you get in? How did you get into marathon
0: running? Who, like, who's I, was it, was was it, was it one of your group of friends or like, how did you decide to, how do you remember, decide to kind of take that next step?
1: Remember, I told you that I remember, remember I told you that we're competitive, but as you, as you get older, people have to realize that you're not going to perform as well as you did. So for example, I broke six minute miles in a five mile race. I ran five 56s or something like that. So I was cleaning. I I, I ran 10 miles in like 60 minutes and 30 seconds, you know. So I knew I wasn't ever going to get any faster than that because I wasn't willing to go to the track and do speed workouts. Well, and you were, I mean, you were also racing father time, right? Yes. In other words, I mean, yeah. you, right? yeah. your physiology was changing. Yeah. So uh, I said, well, what we'll do is, this is myself. I'm not, I'm not talking about doing this with anybody now. I'm just doing it myself. So I set up a schedule where I would run 20 miles every Sunday. That was what my schedule was. So I ran six days a week uh 3 days of 4 1 day of 8 and another day of like 7 and 1 day of 20 so what i've run around 50 miles in a week that's the most i ever ran cuz i'm remember after i'm running i'm going to the gym or or i'm coming from the gym and i'm doing a run so we looked around for a marathon and we we looked at Boston we go I said, that's a zoo so we found the main coast marathon from Biddeford to Kenny Bunkport and I thought, wow I bet that's flat so that's the one we ran what and what what time of year was that marathon it was in, it was in May it was a, it was a May marathon so you and
0: had I- to you had to you had to do a lot of those 20 mile runs in the wintertime. Or, uh,
1: well, I, I, I always... Or some of them. Yeah. Check this out. Uh, it was April, and I had it, had it, I had, it was getting close. It was April, and I had to run, I had to run 15, but school closed because we had a snowstorm. So they let us out at noontime, and I was driving an Opal. car so i went to the gym and i ran 15 minutes i said i'm going to run three hours in here so i ran 15 minutes clockwise 15 minutes counterclockwise repeat 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 it's uh you ran
0: it you ran it it inside a gymnasium in dover high gym When you said gym, I was picturing like Planet Fitness and you were running on the treadmill. No, you were literally running
1: around a gymnasium. In, in Planet Fitness. So by the time I left, the guys had plowed the Opal in. I had to go find the guys to unplow me so I could go home. I mean, I never left there till what, 315, 330? And we had gotten like eight inches of snow by then. Now,
0: were you? D- did you have training buddies um, during those d- during those marathon days well, for your for
1: your long runs? On the on the eights and the sevens and the twelves, Dan McCuey and Ken Jones and those guys. One day we one day it was a Saturday and it was a beautiful day, and we all got together at Dover High. I go. So what are we guys? What are we going to do? So everybody's looking at me. I don't know. I don't know. So I said, "Well, let's run to York Beach." So we ran down to York Beach. Now I don't know how far that is, but then we got down there. I said, she's I gotta call your mother. To go. I gotta call Leslie to get home." Oh, she wasn't too happy about coming down to get us. Down yeah, you did,
0: yeah, Beach. you didn't, you didn't, you didn't quite, you didn't quite kind of think that one. So, so
1: my first marathon, I, I, I. I always said the marathon begins at 20 miles. So we ran, I ran the first 20. Uh, I really didn't think of a pace. I just said, I'm going to be comfortable the whole time. So I could talk and bust crackers with guys and everything. Anyhow, I ran a three hour and 33 minute marathon. And when I finished, I said, you know what? That was easy. That was easy. So we started running those 20 milers on Sundays over in Durham. Now there was 20 something people over there. Those were uh, Those were the days when Bill Rogers and all those guys would meet over there. He wasn't there. I never ran with him, but Kathy, Kathy Skiro Kathy Skiro used to run. She was in high school. She was a junior, a sophomore, a junior. She would come over and run with us. She was, at, she was at Dover, at Dover right. High at the time. Right. Yeah. So she would come over and run with us. Well, we would run 20 miles. And what's interesting is those people had figured out there was an old red house, an elderly lady lived in and let us drink the water in this, in, in her uh, out of her uh, pump well. On the side of the house, so we would all stop there. And I remember Kathy, o- Kathy O'Brien, running like fifty-two minutes for the first ten miles. It's going, oh my goodness! Because we're coming in. Believe it or not, I was running those things. I was running those things right around sixty minutes, sixty minutes, thirty seconds. Anyhow, we. Uh, my doctor. Mark Berman used to run with He remembers me running with them at the shorty shorts. He Pre- remembers me. Premier athletic shorts. Yeah. He okay. remembers me running those things. So that's how I got to getting those 20-mile runs in, in training. By then, Ken Jones and Dan McCooey and those other guys had joined me. Now you mentioned, you mentioned Kathy, uh, Skiro who eventually
0: would become Kathy O'Brien. Um, I, I think I remember you, I think I remember you, you mentioning, uh, Lynn Jennings too. Did, did, was, was Lynn Jennings part of that
1: running group back then? No, Lynn, Lynn Jennings wasn't. She married Dave Hill. She married one of the kids who skied for me back in the 77 state championship ski team. That's how. Leslie and I came to know her because we, David invited us down to her house, down to their house when they were still married, down in what the heck was it, Uh, Newcastle or something, and uh, she was pretty excited. David was pretty excited about showing me the shoe room. They had a room the size of our bedrooms, just stocked full of Nikes. Right. She
0: she she was uh, she was a sponsored athlete at that time,
1: and so was David.
0: David Be, was a because he was her spouse. spouse. Right. Yeah. And Nike and wanted to
1: make sure he was in their shoes. He, yeah, because they they didn't want him out shopping around for another sponsor. So, yeah, that's how she became. Now, I wish she could have been Chris, but I don't know. There were so many people there. Remember, yeah. all those people took off and left the rest of us. The second group coming up behind.
0: <laughs> the 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 B group. So your 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 PR in the marathon was a three fourteen if I'm remembering correctly. Three oh nine. Three oh nine see it, now this is funny this is like one of these this is like one of these fish stories right where where as time goes on the fish gets bigger and bigger because know. my recollection the mark that I always chase was a three fourteen. I don't know yeah. where you just got three oh nine.
1: The second marathon I ran was 318 and then the third one i ran was a 309 the fourth one i ran was a 317 and then the fifth one i ran was a 318 and that's when i said i can't beat that time i just can't beat that time i ain't willing to go more than 50 miles i'm done with marathons so we hung up the marathon shoes
0: and went. that would that would have been what uh late late 80s
1: yeah, early well, 90s? No, it would have been, it would have been middle to late 80s. Cause mid- I ran four years or five years in a row, the same mid- marathon main coast. I never ran another one. Yeah. Mid, mid, mid to late 80s. So yeah. All right. So you, you, you kind
0: of got the marathon bug worked out of your, out of your system. Uh, I mean, you, 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 you mentioned, uh, how taking on challenges is a, was kind of a, kind of an important thing for you. So, uh, as the, as the eighties are closing out and the nineties are dawning, um, what's the next challenge for well, you?
1: The whole, the whole thing is, I think that people who, who are into fitness, as you get older, I think you've got to be willing to adapt. I mean, I had both Achilles were both Achilles, one Achilles was swollen all the time. And I said, this, this is terrible. So I cut my running back to uh, probably 40 miles a week. Remember, I'm working out every day, too. Still in the gym. Huh? Still in the gym. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, you know, we cut my mileage back. I said, forget the marathon. I didn't even race anymore. I was done racing. It wasn't any fun. I couldn't beat my time. So I went to marathon. I couldn't beat that time. So I'm going to move on. So your brother and I said, "Well, we got to find something to do." So, because he was he was up at still up at Dartmouth, and uh you were gone and living in somewhere, Bowling probably, Green, probably
0: North Carolina or Kentucky. North
1: Carolina or Kentucky. Anyhow, we started went to hiking and <laughs> went We started hiking. Now you get. I know people don't believe this. We went to a class reunion. Your mother and I went to a class reunion and we met one of our classmates, Gene Dano. God rest his soul. He is the editor. He was the editor of the Appalachian Mountain Guide. So he taught me into going winter hiking. So I talked to Jay and (laughs) we we did the Osceolas for a first hike. OK, so you're just let me pause you for
0: a moment. So your 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 path into hiking as a as a recreational pursuit, as a passion, if you were that path, you set on that path. Seemingly by coincidence, by this chance encounter with a classmate at a class reunion. Yes.
1: Yes. So. Jay had some, Jay had a little trouble for a couple of years. He was kind of kicking around. So we, we, we spent a lot of time together. And so we went on this hike. And, and I said to Gene, what, what, what are we bringing? So <laughs> we only had one backpack. <laughs> we only had one backpack. And- you, shared,
0: you shared the gear.
1: <laughs> he carried the backpack. <laughs> he carried the backpack. Now why, why
0: uh, I mean of, of all yeah, the types yeah. of of all the types of hiking uh in the Whites wait, winter wait. hiking is probably the most complicated, the most dangerous, uh the most technical.
1: Y- you you and Jay started with winter hiking rather oh, yeah. than summer yeah. hiking. Yeah, no, we never started with summer hiking. I don't think I ever did. summer. the only reason I did summer hiking is cuz I was trying to finish the 48. But anyhow, so yeah, we show up at the trailhead. Jay has on his Dartmouth football sweatpants that he wore. I have a pair of uh, wind pants. I had an old winter jacket. I put on an old ski hat. I had a pair of mittens. And I had an old pair of uh, those big, what do you call snowshoes there with the rawhide and so did he. Anyway, off we go and we do this Osceola we only did we only did uh, we only did East Peak we didn't go over to Mount Osceola because we didn't have time so we brought we brought all this gorp and stuff and Gene told us and we bought uh, plastic bottles full of water and that was our first experience Now we look at Gene and uh, he has a pair of wool pants on so Jay and I come back. The next week, we go to the Army-Navy store, buy wool pants out of the Army-Navy store. I tell your mother, I need a pair of walking boots. So I bought a pair of Line Sorel boots to hike in. So did Jay. So we hiked in our Line Sorrel. I still got them. We hiked in our Line Sorrels. And we did Mount Eisenhower, 5,200 feet in the wintertime. And we're bringing all this stuff to eat. And Gene breaks out a two-liter bottle of Coke. Okay? A two-liter bottle of Coke and a one-pound canned ham that he has to open by turning the thing open. And that's what he eats. And I go, Jay, I think we're doing I think we're doing this all wrong. I think there's an easier way to do this. So the here's the point. I got so enthralled with the idea of being out in the wilderness in the wintertime that we went off and bought as much gear as we could possibly afford to buy to try to improve our comfort, if you will. Because I remember one time Jay was, I had bought hiking pants, a bib outfit, but Jay was still hiking in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, Woolies. And, uh, he fell down and slipped and split the rear end of those of those woolies on a on a winter hike. Anyhow, by that time I had gotten Dan McCooley involved with us, so we were we were into it now because we were going to do the four thousand footers. So Dan and I and I had friends. I I met uh, I met a guy named Ed Hawkins who's a who's a pretty famous guy when it comes to hiking and. I'd gotten good. I did the compass stuff and I started reading about everything I could. How do you die from hypothermia? How do you die from dehydration? You know, that kind of stuff. uh, I still get the books in the bookshelf. And if you recall, what was that tragedy on Mount Everest? John Krakow wrote the book into thin air. Right. So I started reading about that and I read Beck Weathers' book and I read I of Anatole Reeve's book. I just read everything I possibly could get my hands on, and uh, we just kept going in the winter time. And pick up some of the trips in the summertime, but uh, so it, so at some point you, you
0: you had put in a lot of trail time, particularly a lot of trail time uh, above treeline in the winter time. You know what's the you know, as 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 I'm sure you you know hiking you know, is as popular today uh, as it's, as it's ever been. Uh, what, if you were talking to somebody who's just getting into winter hiking or who wants to get into winter hiking and they come to you and they say, Hey, coach Dunn, um, what, what's the best advice you can give me about hiking uh, in the whites in the wintertime? What, what would that be?
1: Make sure that you have, make sure that you have the proper apparel, Okay. make sure that you have your proper apparel, spend the money and buy the good stuff, because that that's going to ultimately is going to save your life. And I used to always tell everybody, look, you're going to challenge me to this and see if I can remember. I said, there's 10 things you got to put into that pack and make sure you have those 10 things all the time. And uh, so one of them is a headlamp. So we're hiking and a hiking. I got a, bo- a friend of mine, Bob Cassily and Bob's Cassilly's with us. And it's a long one, man. We're coming out, and the sun is gone. You know, in, in late December and early January, that thing goes down real fast in the whites. So I go, look, with sun's going down real fast. What we always talked, what I always did was put your headlamps on when you stop. When we're going to take a stop when it's still light. Get some, Do whatever you got to do. Put a headlamp on. So Bob Capsley says, I didn't bring one. I said, OK, I'm going to fix his ass. So I go, Bob, get between two guys with a headlamp. OK, so we're hiking along. And, I, and it's dark now. The only thing we can see is the headlamps. So I said, all right, guys, turn your headlamps off. So everybody turns their headlamp off. I go, I go, Bob, take the lead. He goes, what? I can't see. I go, yeah. And you also didn't bring a headlight. <laughs> <laughs> take that, the lead. That's what you call learning the lesson the hard way. And he, he put a foot right into the stream. <laughs> <laughs> he put a foot right into the stream. So, anyhow, the point is that. <laughs> By now, I've accumulated a whole lot of friends. Kenny Young is one of those guys. He's, become, he's hiking with me. So he says, what do I need to bring? So I give him the 10 things, you know. And uh, so off we go. And off we go. And he's hiking along. And the hike's all over with. And I go, Kenny, how was that? That was awesome, wasn't it? He goes, man, he's ju- he had just bought plastic boots, okay? He goes, my freaking shins are killing me. I go, what happened, man? You tighten the boots up too tight. He goes, I thought you told me everything. I go, I didn't tell you everything. He had boot bang like you read about. Okay, you know how it, when you get boot bang, you get the black and blue all over your shin. Oh my god, he couldn't even move for a week. So but- you you you
0: you you guided uh, friends and, 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 and people that were getting into hiking. I mean, you, you led, you led those hikes for, for many years. And I do know (laughs) that
1: I didn't guide people. I didn't know I took friends.
0: Sure. But, but, but either way you, you were the lead on, on a lot of those hikes. And I, and I do know that, um, that, that you always felt strongly that if the weather wasn't amenable to getting a summit, that you were perfectly fine to turn the group around. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, that, that's clearly, that that's clearly an example of extraordinary leadership. Um, but how did that, how did that develop? How, how did you get to a point where you would be comfortable turning a group around that was hell bent on getting a summit? If you didn't feel like it was that, that it was safe, uh, to, to go up and, and get that summit.
1: In the first few years that I, I hiked, I got turned around twice. I got turned around at Mount Jefferson. We had, we had hiked that uh, we had hiked the long way in, not from the height of the land. It was winter time. And you know that stretch when you break above when you break above tree line. Going back, remember you're walking northwest when you go back. So that wind is going to be right in your right in your face. So we got right down to the cone, and the leader of the group, who happened to have been Ed Hawkins, turned the whole group around. Now remember, I had never been on Jefferson in the winter. That was going to be Jay and I's first went to summit of Jefferson. So anyhow, I learned that you it can be done and not don't be afraid to do it. We also, in, in the book, Into Thin Air, if you look at one of the reasons why they ran into trouble was they did not obey their turnaround time. Their turnaround time latest was three, the latest. So I always, when I hiked with people that I didn't know, The turnaround time was two. If we weren't where we were supposed to be at two or within within a shouting distance of, we were going to turn around.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it it, 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 it reminds me of something I say to my athletes all the time, and that is have a plan, trust the plan, follow the
1: plan. Yes. How about the guy? How about the guy who got killed on Mount Eisenhower when he went down the Edmonds path? They found him in a, in a fetal position, frozen three days later. And in the car, he left a down jacket and a bivvy sack that would have saved his life. We're, we're, we're,
0: we're, we're Look, I mean, these these, these stories of people uh, dying in the whites in the wintertime are, I mean, they're they're very well documented. Was was that stuff on your mind when 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 you would take a group out in the whites in the wintertime? Like, were you were you keenly aware of of the risk that that you were taking by by heading above treeline in the wintertime?
1: No, because I was really confident in what we were doing and we were prepared. I remember I told Steve McCusker, right. Steve asked me what to wear. Right. And we were on a hike. Steve asked me what to wear. So I told him what to bring, except I forgot to pay attention that he put it all on in the car. And we started up the road and he goes, hey, I got to take some clothes off. I go, what do you mean? I'm sitting there with a I'm sitting there with a, a, a burgling top on. He goes, well, I put all the clothes on that you told me to wear. I go, Steve, man. <laughs> yeah. OK. So we stripped him down and redressed him in, in playing gear. No, the point was I was really confident in what I was doing. I remember that I turned Braden and Kate Led around on Mount Lafayette. You know, when you start up Mount Lafayette and you get up and you make a, a, a left hand turn, you're right walking north by northwest. And we did not have our crampons on. We had snowshoes on. And I said, guys, we're not putting crampons on right here. It's too windy. Snowshoes will blow away. It's too cold. We're going to turn around. There wasn't an argument. The three of us turned around and went back down. You, you, your passion for hiking
0: uh, and your accomplishments uh, in in the in the in the mountains of New Hampshire, eventually led you to uh, hiking some uh, of the of the highest peaks uh, in in the United States, um, and some really high peaks outside uh, of the of the United States. Uh, specifically Mount Rainier, which is a 14,000 footer in the state of Washington, and Mount Whitney, which is a, a 14 and a half thousand footer in California. Um, before we before we talk about um, your uh, hike in Ecuador, tell me a little bit about what you remember about hiking Rainier and Whitney. Who did you go with? Uh, what was when what we, were those
1: experiences like? When we, You know, we, we had really killed the White Mountains. I was just confident I'd read every book I could possibly read. So, one of the things that I always did, and I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but one of the things that I always did when I was going to set a challenge for myself, I always talked about it to other people because it to me that was a commitment that I was making. I couldn't hide behind some thought I had in my head that I could just store away in the attic. If I said I was going to go to climb Mount Rainier, I was so. Anyway, long story short, I said to one of my classes in health, I said, I'm climbing Mount Rainier. So one of my students came up to me afterwards, Peter Rowell, and he goes, Coach Dunn, can I go with you? The kid was a freshman. And I said, I oh, do I guess. I don't know. What do your parents think? So anyway, he went home, told his parents. They called me that night. Anyway, Peter Rowell and I went out to the summer, that uh, end of his freshman year. We went out to do Mount Rainier he he didn't he was learning how to drive, so I let him drive the rental car up the up the coastline, so he's pretty excited about that. but anyhow, uh we didn't summit the rain was too bad. We went up disappointment cleaver for any of the people that know know Rainier. We went up the cleaver and the weather was too bad. You could hear the rocks falling out of the how the rocks falling out of the glacier. so we got turned around. Anyhow, were you,
0: were you, were you guided or were you, were you no, on we're your own? We, we,
1: we, went with, uh, we went with Rainier, Rainier Mountaineering. And, uh, it is like 25 people in the group. So, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, what's interesting on that hike, I was, we were short roped. You get short roped on the rocks with, with the ropes only five feet between you. And the guy in front of me was an attorney because I know I had to talk to him. He's right in front of me the whole time. And uh, he gets AMS, right? And he acute, turns around. acute
0: mountain sickness.
1: Yeah. He turns around and blows lunch. Well, the freaking wind is coming down the mountain, right? Oh my God. He splatters me up from one end to the other. Oh Jesus. <laughs> so anyhow, that anyhow, I come back and I, I said uh, to Peter, sorry about that and the whole thing. And he goes, not a problem. So any, anyway, I come back and I'm not satisfied now. I gotta go back and do Rainier again. I got to go do it. So who the heck did I go with that time? I, I just I hooked up with another I hooked up with another company. Oh, Keating went with me. Keating Hegman went with me.
0: You are one of your one of your very close friends from from yeah.
1: when you were a kid. Oh, Co- he, went to Yale, I went to, he went to Yale. I went to Southern Connecticut. I, we, 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 he, he nicely says, yeah, we both went to school in New Haven. <laughs> I went to Yale. So anyhow, <laughs> Keating and I went out. So right. So we're gonna go up the other side of the mountain. We're coming up the other side. So we, we go up and we're at the we camp. We we camp out. So now we're ready for the summit day. And we were hiking for about an hour. This is like two o'clock in the morning. We're hiking for about an hour, and Keating's on a short rope right in front of me. So the guy guide, guide says, "Okay, put your packs down. Everybody's coming in. We sit down, we relax, eat them and drink them. And if you got to take a leak, just stand up." So Keating, Keating goes, "I, I don't feel well, guys. AMS." Uh, again, Keating says, I'm not feeling well, guys. I go, Hey, guy, guys, Keating's. I, Keating stood up and his clo- his eyes closed and he let go of lunch again. Oh, oh no. all over the front of me, <laughs> all over me because I tried to catch him. I tried to catch him, if you will. Anyhow, <clears throat> so the guy, <laughs> they made the decision to turn Keating around and, uh, the <laughs> guide asked me, he goes, Jim, hey, Jim, how are you doing? I go, well, I've been better. Uh, so, because you know, I, I always took Diamox. So and I, D- D-
0: Diamox is a is a is a
1: prescription diuretic. OK, cor- correct. Yeah. What it basically does is the way I understood everything I read, it increases your breathing rate and heart rate. It increases your breathing rate and your heart rate so that because AMS really strikes when you're sleeping. Because your heart rate and breathing rate is so low that that's when you tend to get it. So uh, I didn't get any AMS. I didn't get any AMS anywhere I went. None. And uh, uh, anyway, we went on and we summited that. Mount Rainier. And that was my first opportunity to go to 14,000 feet. That was pretty exciting, right?
0: Yeah. It's a, actually Diamox is my, my, my mistake. Diamox is, uh, it's, uh, a, it, it's a diuretic because you it you're gonna yeah, drink it, a it, water it water. is a diuretic. It's, it's also used for glaucoma. Um, um, but it, it, it happens, it, it does happen to be, to be used as a, as a, as a diuretic or, or a water pill. Yeah.
1: Now what's interesting back when I was taking it, they recommended you take it you recommended you take it three days before you start and then just as you feel better, start weaning yourself off it. Now they don't. They Now they recommend you start your climb and if you're not feeling well, just take it. That's what they recommend now because I'm sure they're concerned of the fact that it's a diuretic. So yeah. uh, I did. Because su- I listen, we ran dehydrated every time we ran. Are you sure. kidding me? Sure. So d- you you did
0: summit Rainier that second time.
1: Yeah. Yes. So we came back down, right? We came back down and there's Keating in the tent, right? He's feeling great because he's back down at 10,000 feet, right? But when he fell on the way down, he cut his earlobe with his ice axe. So (laughs) he had to get, one of the guys in the group had stitches, was a doctor. So he stitched up his ear. I mean, he's, his whole face was blood because he'd been sleeping on it, right? Like that. <laughs> but anyhow, no, anyhow, so I got finished with Rainier, and I go, okay, what, what's going on now? And uh, we uh, decided that we're going to do the highest point in the low 48. Who's, 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 who's we? Kenny Who? Young and his brother, David. Okay. Kenny's into really climbing now. So he's going to... We're gonna go do Mount Whitney, the lowest, the highest point in the lower 48. Fourteen thousand five hundred feet. Yeah, so we go out. Anyhow, we we got a day, we got a day pass. It's the only one we could get. We didn't camp. We we're going in and coming out. Eleven miles up from eight thousand feet to fourteen thousand feet. But you're sleeping at six thousand feet, in 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 Lone Pine. Right, that's where they used to film the Lone Ranger. Down in Lone Pine. So anyway, we take off and go up to do Mount Whitney, and uh, there's a thousand, there's a hundred switchbacks that goes up a wall of a mountain. There's a hundred switchbacks. So Kenny goes up the wall, and think about think about AMS (laughs) when your equilibrium bubble is going back and forth from back and forth. So anyhow, he gets to the, we get to the summit. We leave at three in the morning. We summit around eleven o'clock in the morning, noontime. Eleven o'clock. Say ten thirty. So he he has got AMS like you read about. Now I'm a pro at AMS now. You understand that, right? Sure. We well, have yeah, your experience. About, I know all about it. Yeah, with your experience at Rainier. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he's got AMS. So I say, Kenny, man, you got 11 miles to go back down. We got to get out of here, and you got to—we got to fly out of here. So down we go. Now, now this isn't a summertime, so there's it's no weather issue. But we start down, and he goes by the switch. Those switchbacks again, and he goes, "I'm sick." So. He goes, I gotta find a throw, I gotta find a place to blow lunch. So there's a guy, there's a guy getting sick off the side of the trail. So Kenny goes, Hey, I got a spot. He goes over <laughs> and he lets it fly right next to that guy. So they're throwing up over there. Anyhow, we get down and uh <laughs> he has a bowl of cereal. He asks the guy wants to know what he wants to eat, and the guy. And he orders a salad bowl full of cereal. He said, just bring me all the cereal you got. I'm going to eat cereal. <laughs> so he ate a bowl of salad bowl of cereal. So you, you are- got
0: you guys made it to 14,000 feet then on Whitney. You, you did not summit. Oh, we summited. No, you did summit.
1: Yeah, we summited. Yeah. There's a picture of Kenny uh, 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 supinated on a rock. He never, he doesn't even know what the summit looked like. <laughs> he, has, he has no idea what Whitney looks like. He was, None. he, he was, he has
0: no idea. Yeah. He, he was feeling, he was feeling uh, so rugged. Was, uh, well, with your, with your experiences then, uh, at, at Rainier and Whitney, um, you guys decide to, you know, figuratively step it up a notch
1: and, um, you, uh, yeah, you we decide on a, you decide on a trip to on. Ecuador. Yeah. We want to go higher, so we get in touch with we get in touch with a company called Mountain Link. Well, the guy who owns it is Robert Link, who's who summited Mount Everest, and uh, he had just gotten married. And anyway, so we hook up with him, and Jay and I, we hook up with him, and we fly to Ecuador. And they make the story go along. We try to get. We go to 17,000 feet on Ilanea Sorte. That's the game plan. So we summited that, and nobody got sick. everything was fine. It was kind of dangerous because all the rocks were in ice. We had crampons on the whole time. and what was that was that a was that a
0: multi-day uh, yeah yeah, uh, we were there a
1: week. we were gone a week. Okay,
0: so some, so there were, you you did some acclimatization yeah. hikes in order to get up to eventually get up to seventeen thousand.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, we had done one at fifteen thousand, which was nope, it was just a high point. Then we went to so so we get to Ilaniza and there's a hut up there, right? Well, Jay and I brought hot dogs for lunch. We brought hot dogs for for lunch, so we boil the water and cook the hot dogs, right? So Jay takes a bite of the hot dog. And he goes, ah, I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling well. I got to go outside. So Jay goes out and he gets AMS and he cleans himself out. And He comes back in and he pops a six pack of beer on the counter. And he goes, look, well, when I was at Dartmouth and I was hung over, I just, I just bit the dog that bit me. So he takes that beer and just pounds it. He just pounds that thing down. And, uh, he looks at me and he goes, pops, I got it, man. We're good to go now. <laughs> so, so anyhow, so we, anyway, we go over to Code Epoxy. We go up to the hut at Code Epoxy. There's a hut at the refugio. At, there's a, a refugio at 15,000 feet where you start to go to the summit. So we get there and, uh, it's just jay and i in this in the group that we're with and uh mountain lake and uh the weather turns crappy and it looks crappy for four days the mountain is in snow remember this is in july the mountains in snow and this is so anyway we cancel we 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 put off that trip right we get shut out all right we paid about probably $6,000 a piece to get shut out. So it was kind of disappointing anyway. So a couple of years go by and Jay, I go to Jay, JJ. I gotta go back, I gotta go back to Ecuador. So we hook it up, we hook up with uh, Rainier Mountaineering and Kenny Young comes with us now cause Kenny's caught the bug, right? So he comes with us. <laughs> so we do all the acclimatizing hikes, and then we go to Code epoxy. Well, Cotopaxi <laughs> the bus breaks down. So we got to walk 3,000 feet to the refugio. What did I say the refugio was 15? So we yes. got to walk from 12 to 15. Well, those switchbacks, you can't, it's like this, right? So they set straight switch- up. Yeah. Yeah. So you run the switchbacks anyway. So we get up there, we we get in there, and we're gonna go out and do some ice training and s- stuff like that on the snow. And Kenny goes, "Yeah, I don't feel good." So I said, "Jay, we're we're in having tea. I, I'm drinking coca tea, coke tea. Talk about a great stimulant that bad boy is. You don't get AMS. You drink that stuff.
0: What that, that's like a that that's like a the the, the local energy drink."
1: Yeah, it's cokey tea. So I'm just pounding that stuff all the time. Anyway, I wondered why I couldn't sleep. I thought it was a diamox. But anyhow, Kenny, Kenny is, uh, Jake goes with Kenny. Jay comes in and he's laughing. He's just laughing his butt off. I go, Jay, what's funny? He's like, hey. Kenny wants to know if there's any paper towels in this place. Now, you got to remember, 15,000 feet, ain't nothing. They're cooking a chicken. They put the whole carcass in there. Yeah. But anyhow, I go, what happened? He goes, ah, uh, he got he got AMS. He's out there. He threw up all over himself. So. Again. Oh, come on, Jay. Come on. He goes, no, man. So we all go, the guides go out, because they're really serious about AMS. They pay attention to it. Of course. <laughs> So we all go out there and Jay Jay looks at Kenny and goes, Kenny, listen, I'm going to show you once how to do this. So they got a, they got a knee wall over there. So Jay lays down on the knee wall and throws up on the other side of the (laughs) knee wall. He goes, Kenny, that's how you don't get it on (laughs) you. So so anyway, uh, Kenny is just brutal. That summit night is that night. And Kenny is just brutal. He's so, not feeling well. Oh, he's brutal. He's got his down jacket on in a down sleeping bag and he can't get warm. And, you know, he's dehydrated for one thing. Right. That's why he's cold. Right. So. Uh, anyways, time to go. So we wake everybody up. Jay's feeling kind of punky, too. So, And this is like one in the morning. Yeah, well, it's 1230. 1230, super early. We went to bed at five o'clock. PM. Yeah. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is
0: this is this is what they call an alpine
1: start. Yeah. So anyhow, <clears throat> we go and we start and be damned if Kenny doesn't start feeling better. He perks up. He, he, he's whistling and oh, this is awesome. I'm gonna get this thing and off he goes. So <laughs> we're going down, we descend down to this thing, and there's a crevasse down there. Now the cross is only two feet across, but it's probably 300 feet deep, right? So we got to jump it. Right. So we he he holds, we have a guy on either side of the of the line, in case we miss. Anyhow, Kenny goes to jump in his his sunglasses. His headlamp flies off. His headlamp flips off his helmet and <laughs> lands. On the other side of the crevasse. Okay. So Kenny's gonna bend down and pick up, <laughs> pick up his headlamp. So the guide, Mike Walters, yells down, Kenny, don't shit the bed now, brother. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Kenny goes, What do you mean? He goes, Just jump over, we'll get it later. So, anyhow, Kenny jumps over. We all go over we all get up to the summit we're at 19,000, whatever it is. I don't even remember what it was 300 something, I think. And, uh, uh, I'm looking at that the picture of the summit on, on the wall. Um, and it, it's just the greatest experience of my life. I mean, I accomplished something that I never thought I would have, when I was running marathons, I never told me I climbed to 19,000 feet. Never thought I'd, that would happen. And, uh, So, so, uh, Kenny, Kenny recovered. He did a great job. Uh, and I know you're going to do a podcast with him, but ask him how many times he got AMS on his other trips. Well, he,
0: I mean, he would go on, he would go on to summit a handful of the seven summits. He did
1: four of the seven summits, right? He did, uh, Russia, North America and Europe. Pretty Kilimanjaro, good. yeah, Elbrus, uh, Denali, McKinley. yeah, McKinley, Denali, yeah, and uh, what, what's the one? Kosci No, that's in Al, 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 Australia. The one over, the one over in, uh, the one over in, uh, in Asia. It's a short one. I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, Chris, right now. But he did Elbrus, and, and he did them all. So that, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, by now I'm not running, you know, I've given up, I'm giving up running. I've adapted to my new situation in life. Still, still,
0: still, still, still in, still in the gym. I I, want to ask you about, about one more epic uh, uh, hiking experience. And then I want to, I want to get your take on, on, um a, a lifetime and fitness and and some of the some of the important things you' you've learned along the way and some some pearls of wisdom um but to but to to contrast your uh hike to 19 uh, 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 and a half thousand feet. Um, you also did the grand Canyon rim to rim, the 50 mile hike. Um, <laughs> so, in in and that was a situation in which you, uh, ended up hiking down into the, into one of the lower places, uh, one of the lower spots, uh, in the continental United States, uh, all the way, uh, all the way down to, um, to the, to the bottom of the, of the, of the grand Canyon. Uh, tell me about, tell me about that, that grand Canyon rim to rim 50 mile hike.
1: Well, that was in 2001, I think. Keating got in touch with me and he goes, Hey, I just saw an adventure magazine. It's actually a rim to rim to rim. I cut that short. Right. Cause you got to go back. Yeah, so right. I said to uh, I go, all right. So he, he got, he got a five day permit for us to go into the grand Canyon. So we went to, uh, Toussaint, the town, just before you get to the South rim, the main part of the South rim. Cause I know there's a number of takeoff points, but, uh, the White Trail. There's a there's a, no is it the, no it's not the White Trail. I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, so the the game plan was to climb into the Grand Canyon tent, get up the next day, climb over to the base of the North Rim, sleep, get up the next day, climb to the top top of the north rim come back down up and down in one day go back to uh, the lodge have a steak dinner and climb out the next day so that's that's how that went 50 miles and what was interesting what was really interesting is that the north rim north rim had about 15 feet of snow on it so we had taken microspikes, so we could walk around up there, and uh, the people were just coming in to clear that place out. Well, I, I may be wrong, so you clarify this. I apologize if I am, but I think I think the north rim is at I think the north rim is at six thousand feet, and the south rim is at eight thousand feet. It's either or, but the north rim holds its snow longer than the south rim. Got it. So uh that was it was quite an adventure i mean i i I obviously would never do it again but if anybody asked me i'd say "Man, go do it yeah and what was really interesting is people were doing it in one push 50 miles down over up down over up
0: yeah i've read yeah i've i've uh I've read stories about, about, about those folks, ultra runners, right. Who, uh, yeah. uh, who, you know, who will, who will run, you know, most, if not, if not all of it, you know, in, in, in one push, A- Aconcagua, uh, is the, is the peak in, in, Aconcagua
1: in South America,
0: in South America. He, that, that, was, that was the other one that he did, right. right. Yeah. A- Aconcagua. Yeah. Um, well, I, I want to wrap, I want to wrap up, uh, with, with this, um, you know, you've, you've, you've lived a life, uh, of, uh, um, of, of physical fitness as being something that's really important to you. I mean, so much so that, um, you know, you've, you've passed that down to not only, not only one generation, but you've passed it down, uh, to, to multiple generations. Um, I I don't know how many people uh, know this, but, um, uh, on Fridays you have a standing gym date, uh, um with uh, with a, with a with a member of the family you, you you want you want to talk a little bit about uh what yeah, you yeah, do on Fridays?
1: there's a guy in the gym that says hey I wasn't there one day because I had to, I had a thing with a doctor and the, and the guy and the guy goes hey he goes hey where's your uncle where's your father you're not <laughs> here today <laughs> he goes that's my grandfather oh yeah your grandfather where is he right so like, on on Braden
0: was the one that actually invited me. All right, so my my son, well, I was pretty Braden, with the fact your that your grandson. Uh, you get together with him on Fridays uh, at bench. the gym, and that's our bench day. That's your that's your, that's your that's your that's your bench day. Um, so it, clearly, you know your your example um, uh, of of fitness, uh, you know, obviously rubbed off on me, and 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 it clearly has rubbed off um, on, on the next generation of, of Duns as well. And, and by the way, my, my oldest daughter, Madison is a runner, um, sure, sure. you know, uh, in, in inspired, I'm, I'm sure at least in part by her, by her pop. But, um, what, what, why, why is fitness, why is fitness still important to you? I mean, you, <laughs> you, you spend as much time in, in the gym as anyone, but why, um, what, what, why is, why is fitness important? What, why has it been important for you to live a life of, and dedicated to
1: fitness? Well, I think what I said before, though, Chris, I think everything I adapted all the way along, everything everything I did in my fitness line was an adaptation. What I, what I didn't feel like doing or I couldn't do, I just moved on to do something different. During COVID, I had no gym to go to, so uh, I had a got-wood workout. So I went out to my wood pile, and I split wood, stacked wood, broke the pile down, built it back up, and that kind of thing. The point is, I'm not so sh- – I think I got – I used to always tell the players, you do something three times and it becomes a habit. I just think I got in a habit of, of doing it, and I feel better. I feel better when the blood flows. One of the things that happens as you get older is you tend not to move as much. And it's just the natural occurring thing so I just got to make sure I keep moving. I try to spend I try to spend an hour hour and a half, maybe two hours out playing in a wood pile just, just and I can't wait for the weather to warm up so I can get the leaves cleaned out and stuff like that. I just think you got to keep moving.
0: Well, I think I think that's a I, I think that's a that's a that's a great message and uh, and 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 an excellent and, a, and an excellent thought, to, uh, I Also,
1: let me make another thing. Let me make another point, too. You know, when you got if you got people listening to this, that that, that 35 is the tipping point, man. If you ain't getting it done by 35, you, you, if you're 35 and you're, you're in some kind of fitness program, you're probably going to stay with it. OK, just be willing to adapt. But if you're over 35 and you ain't got you aren't doing anything to move, you got to do something to move. Now, I guarantee you, I I guarantee you over 35 and you ain't done anything and you want something to do, you better find somebody to help you because you don't know what you're doing. You didn't know before 35. You certainly aren't going to know after 35.
0: Well, it's and it certainly becomes there are certainly more challenges as you as you as you get above the age of 40 um in terms of you know how your body is changing and uh, it certainly is it's much more difficult to adopt exercise as a as a regular as a regular behavior after the age of 40 than it is than it is uh, before the age of 40 um well listen listen pop I, I i appreciate this conversation uh it's it's been great to have you on again and uh um look forward to maybe having you on 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 the show again we 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 talk about some other things there you go Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Pop. I'm glad I finally got my pop on the record about his Mount Washington road race and marathon PRs. (laughs) The way things are going, those times seem to be shrinking fast. Well, listening to him tell those stories suggests to me that it wasn't just a love for fitness that I inherited from him. If you liked what you heard, please consider giving the show a follow. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at at CoachChrisJDunn, so make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.